Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line, <laughs> yeah, that's a phrase I uttered well, either that or joining me today here in the studio, a combined total of 100 times now as the show hit the century mark last week with episode 100. Amazing. I'm still thankful to all of you, the listeners, to all of the guests who appeared over the first 100 shows, and of course to Crystal Blue Sound Studios for making the show sound so terrific every week for close to two years now. Mm. It's still something I'm trying to wrap my arms around, the idea that this show has gotten this far. Here are some other proud notes about the show to this point. There have been listeners from more than 95 countries spanning all five regions of the world, Africa, the Americas, Asia, Europe, and Oceania. Guests have ranged from participants on The Voice and American Idol to a Blues Hall of Famer, a Las Vegas headliner. We had the lead guitar player for Garth Brooks. Plus, we had the 2014 Dove Awards New Artist of the Year, And we even had a gentleman who is an Emmy Award-winning sound designer, recording engineer, and producer. And of course, the guests have come from a wide variety of genres and locales, not only cities and states throughout the U.S., but a large handful of Canadian guests, plus two from Europe, one from Hungary and one from England. The show's home, of course, is www.nhte.net for now hear this entertainment, but there are links there to other platforms where it's available, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. Plus, here's an exclusive. We have been approved for Google Play, where podcasts will soon be launched. Back around maybe episode 75, we even launched an Instagram account just for this show. There's a link to that too at nhte.net. And I want to be clear, launched it around episode 75, but there are pictures. We went all the way back to episode one and started posting a picture of every guest from every episode and a lot of other, some pictures from interviews that were done right here in Crystal Blue Sound Studios. A lot of good content to see there on the Instagram account. Of course, as always, there are links there too for Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So do please like, follow, and subscribe, respectively. And we also greatly appreciate you posting a review of Now Hear This Entertainment on iTunes, hopefully accompanied by a five-star rating. I say it every week because it's true. That does help the show a lot. And please do, of course, tell others about the show, too. So, before we resume, following last week's celebration of the big 100th episode, this time around here on episode 101, We're going to take a look back at the first 100 episodes with clips from just some of those shows. And without any further ado, we have to, of course, start at the very beginning and remember where we came from by hearing something from the very first show, episode one, when the guest was Shauna P., who was on The Voice in 2013, having made it to the top 32 on that show out of more than 50,000 that initially auditioned. 
there's a saying in sports, you're only as good as your last game or, or as your last victory. So in other words, you know, it's it's a what have you done for me lately kind of thing. And in the music business, you know, you could get a killer gig, but it's so darn competitive that people will say, yeah, that's great. But what have you done? You know, what have you been doing since, you know, that killer gig that, that you're telling the person about? So the question I'm leading up to, Sean, is that deflating at all to you that you get to be on national TV in primetime and are obviously like exceptionally proud of where you got to? And then all people want to ask you now is, so what's she been doing since then? Because, you know, I want the performers listening to get encouragement from you. Listen, that's the main thing. That is that is the clincher with the whole thing is it's not uh, – it's what you do with it, you know, what you do with that exposure and what you do afterward. I mean, the work really comes afterward where you have to dig in and, and really um, take advantage of that window of opportunity. And, you know, I've been just uh, pounding the pavement doing that, and I've got some really wonderful things happening, but they don't happen immediately. And, you know, it is a process and it requires so much patience. And I have been, you know, 2014 could have been the best year. I mean, 2013 could have been the worst year and the best year of my life because being the best in a sense that I made it to the top 32 out of 50,000 people on The Voice, the worst in a sense that after having that, that recognition and those accolades, you you come to a point where you're at a crossroads and you have to make a decision. You have to set a value on yourself and say, okay, you know, I'm worth this. I need to move into different circles of venues and and different types of exposure and that type of thing because I have an international fan base at this point. The, the trick is getting from playing small gigs to the big gigs. It's it's not an easy process. And that's where I've been. That's where my struggle has been. Um but you know, here's here's the thing. I I do it for the love of the music. The one reason I did the show to begin with was to take care of my parents. I'm an only child and they're getting older. So that was in the back of my mind to do that and to be able to get to a place where I can take care of them. So that drives me even still. I have that driving force after the show. But I will say this, a lot of the the people, uh, some of the contestants, you know, I, I'm older and a lot of them looked at me as like a big sister or a mom mm. type figure. After the show was over and after, you know, some of us were sent home, they were calling me saying, Shauna, we need some Shauna P time. We need some healing. <laughs> you know, one of the contestants described it like, it's like somebody broke up with you but didn't tell you the reason why. Wow. So... There's there's no closure, you yeah, know, and wow. it's a head trip. It can it can really be a head trip. Um, so going into it, you know, my advice is know that that you have a gift and and a calling, and it's unique and it's individual for every person. And don't let something like that define you. Um, it, it it can't define you and it shouldn't define you. It's a journey and it's an experience and it's a vehicle to get to the next place that you want to get to. You know, the exposure is tremendous. I didn't do it to win. It's kind of like, I, I liken it to going to the gym. I used to train people at Gold's Gym and I'd say, don't come in to lose weight. Come in to enjoy exercising and feeling better and getting healthy. And a byproduct of that is losing weight. It's the same thing with with the experience on the voice. Don't go into one of those competitions to necessarily win it. 
But go in for the exposure and for the experience and for the connections and the networking opportunities. You know, I came out a winner in, in every, you know, every way you look at it. Amen. And it'll help you get through it. It's a, it's a really a good headspace to be in. And, I, and a lot of the, the kids, I call them, that were on the show drew, drew from me, you know, uh, in that regard because I kept that positive mindset about it and I was okay and I'm, I'm fine, you know, uh, now. And it's, it's just been, it's been incredible for me. It really has. Let's jump ahead to what would end up becoming one of the most, if not the most, listened to episodes, number 12, with Nashville-based singer-songwriter Mark Allen Barnett, a guy who, at the time, had written almost 3,000 songs. So let's talk about some of the fun stuff here for a few minutes. You opened for the likes of the Charlie Daniels Band, Tanya Tucker, Patty Loveless, Restless Heart, uh, I know, and, and and we can talk about this as a follow-up, that it's not all as glamorous as it sounds. You and I have had that conversation before, but there had to have been some fun times in there, yes? Oh, I've had extraordinary times. I'm first and foremost an entertainer. I always have been, and, and that's why I could put myself into different situations. I could do stand-up comedy, and I could do a, a listening room, or I could do a loud, extraneous bar. And uh, I do that because I have a wide variety of, of material, and also I listen to audiences. And so that has served me well, and I've had a magnificent time. I've had very few of the gigs everybody hates. I don't really hate anything, you know. Mm. Sometimes you wish you might have a better time slot or different people see you, whatever. That's just the way it works, and you've got to go with it. That's a, Make that's, the best of what you got. Yeah, that's a, that's a great attitude. Um, any, any one story stick out that, that you want to share from, from, I just read off that long list of names, any, any real... I don't know, funny or, or some some special night that, that you had uh, working with all those people? Well, uh, the, the Charlie Daniels story was was fun because I, I'm, he was a huge hero of mine growing up in Birmingham in the Southern Rock era. Sure. And here I finally get to, to uh, work with him and open a show. And where do I finally get a chance to meet one of my idols? standing right next to him in the urinal in the restroom, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, it's not the most, uh, the most, uh, gallant place, but you have to do what you can do, you know? And, and so, so how does that, how does that translate to, uh, to you end, ending up opening for him? Well, I, I actually was opening for, that was the show. Oh, I was okay. opening okay. for him, and the place that I met him was in the restroom. Gotcha, it wasn't like gotcha. He got to see me on stage or any of that. He, because of that, I think he got a little uh, a chuckle at my personality <laughs> and, uh, and came out, and he did see me. Uh, and we did, uh, we actually did two shows together. Very, very nice guy. And I, I see him up here in Nashville from time to time. Uh, it's kind of funny, the people that you meet in other areas of the country that live in Nashville. You have to go somewhere else to actually yeah, yeah. Let's move on to episode 20, which also became wildly popular, a highly listened to interview with Ryan Weaver, an adoptee who grew up in a family of 11 in Florida and singer-songwriter who was a U.S. Blackhawk helicopter pilot in Iraq and has gone on to a career in country music in Nashville, highlighted by playing at CMA Fest and opening for the likes of George Jones, Blake Shelton, Craig Morgan, Montgomery Gentry, and Trace Atkins. And listeners, I am going to ask Ryan a rather sensitive question here, but um, I want you as the listeners 
to uh, hear, you know, why I, I said uh, just a few minutes ago that I, I really feel that he's quite an inspiration uh, for those of you that are listening that are up and comers. So, Ryan, um, if you would just uh, talk about your brother Aaron and then your brother-in-law Randy. Well, I think if it's it's kind of important um, when I when I do tell their stories that I, I talk a little bit about how I got started in country music because it was surrounding uh, my military career. I did most or a lot of the foundation of getting started in country music while I was on active duty, uh, touring on the weekends and those kind of things. But um, I was actually in flight school doing karaoke and singing competitions uh, to help pay the bills, and I was winning <laughs> in southern Alabama. I was pretty happy about that because there are some phenomenal, phenomenal singers down in Alabama that I was up against, but I was more the performance side was what was winning for me. And then once I was restationed after flight school to Germany, of course, uh, we ended up going over to Iraq, uh, and I was there in 2003, and shortly after I got there, a few months after I got there, I found out that my brother Aaron was deployed over there by him surprising me. I didn't know he was there, but he <laughs> showed up at Baghdad International wow. and surprised me when I got done with a flight. Wow. Uh, it was kind of crazy because he opened up the door, and when he was standing there, he opened up my door, and when he was standing there and took a picture of me, and I was, I was shaking because I, I, I had no idea that he was there. Um, but anyway, so we were deployed there, and we got to see each other a few times uh, while I was deployed there. Um, I went over the last time that I actually saw him was on January 4th in 2004. I flew over for a female cavalry captain, Kimberly Hampton, that was uh, shot down just a few days before that and killed in action. I went to her funeral and flew a couple of her friends over um, uh, for the fun- or the memorial service, excuse me, and uh, Aaron was there. And I remember it just like it was yesterday, uh, mm-hmm. watching him walk off um, when I was about to fly out. And four days after that, I was flew my last flight ever. Uh, I flew a, uh, a mission and then got back and saw on Fox News that there was a Blackhawk shot down. And I remember some of the choice words from my crew chief because they had no information on the television about where they, what unit it was or what kind of helicopter it was. And um, the next morning after I had got on Yahoo Instant Messenger and let everybody know that I was okay and, and that kind of stuff, uh, I was woken up in the morning to find out that Aaron was on the back of that medevac helicopter and uh, killed in action that day. Um, you know, it's like I said, you know, when you're deployed over in a situation like that, it doesn't matter how short or how long it is. You really don't, uh, you stop taking the small things in life for granted. Well, that uh, completely changed my life 180 degrees at that, at that moment. And I uh, came back to Aaron's funeral and Went back to Germany, was rear detachment for a couple months, and then came to Fort Rucker, was restationed at Fort Rucker as an, an a attack officer like the Lewis Gossip Jr., an officer and a gentleman, but I was much meaner. <laughs> had a lot of passion to make sure that my candidates were filling some pretty big shoes, um, and every day that I went to work, I that's what I thought about. And then uh, I just started singing. I mean, I started doing some more singing competitions and met up with an army band, and it was history after that. And, and oh. I've been using, had been using Aaron to push me and fuel me uh, to be successful. And I made a promise to myself that every time I stepped on stage, I would never let them forget uh, the sacrifice that he made so that I could mm. chase my dreams and we could all chase our dreams. And then last year um, in December, 
uh, on December 17th, it was actually December 18th, I got a phone call from my sister. And one of my previous students, she ended up marrying him. His name was Randy Billings, and um, he became my brother-in-law. And uh, he and I and, and Ashley are very, very close. We're very, very close. And I uh, got a phone call from her, and uh, she said that he had been killed in action with that last Blackhawk that everyone may remember being shot down in Afghanistan. And um, it, 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 it still hurts to talk about it right now. It's still difficult um, to talk about it because it's still fresh. Um, but the, the way that I look at it is this music business and, and my dreams and, and, and everything that I'm doing is so minuscule in, in comparison to um, what they did for us and what all the military service members that have sacrificed have done for us. And, and if I'm going to take a single day off and chasing the dream that they've given me the opportunity to chase, then I'm wasting time and I'm doing them a disservice. Mm -hmm. And uh, having two angels uh, looking over my shoulder and pushing me, I think gives me a little bit of a different motivation than most people have in accomplishing uh, my dreams when it comes to country music. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great to have them in my corner. And I know that I'm being long-winded, but I think it's extremely no, no. important to know that, um, you know, there, there, there are a lot of things that can fuel you in, uh, as an artist to want to be successful, whether it be the big crowds in the stadiums or, or whether it be relaying some sort of a message and something that you believe in. Um, the, this, the fuel that I've got has, is, is making me motivated to have all of those things happen, not just, you know, just one particular thing. So, All right, next, episode 29. We stepped into a slightly different area of entertainment with yet another interview that became one of the most listened to. Here in the studio with me was Carly Perez, a former WWE diva, Nowadays, she is on the wildly successful show Lucha Underground on the El Rey Network, although that casting happened after she was on my show. Nonetheless, she did talk about her experience with WWE. We've got a lot to cover today, certainly, but I know that you were very successful and very popular as the WWE diva Maxine, so we've got to at least give that just a little time. <laughs> uh, WWE Hall of Famer Dusty Rhodes, who of course is a legend, as recently as two months ago called you on Twitter, quote, the greatest diva in our system of all time, hashtag FCW, heel at NXT, and in hashtag WWE, end quote. Wow. Yeah. You've, you've got to be proud of what you accomplished in WWE, hearing words like that from him. Well, coming from um, Dusty, I'm especially proud. Dusty Dusty made that uh, job in my, my career in WWE so much better for me and enjoyable. Like he, he really brought me out of my shell and showed me a part of me that I didn't even know. And um, although... I left the company, and after a good amount of time, I, I probably could have had a good amount of time left, and I just felt like I had more to go after, but it really did give me that leverage and that push of finding out who I was and being comfortable with it, and I had some very emotional times with Dusty, and he he really believed in me when at some time when nobody else did and that that really really helped me and i'm glad that he still to this day supports me in my work and 
he was he was happy with the heel that I was in that company. That was for sure. <laughs> you started with the WWE at the age of just 22, and now you're 28 and gone from there. And as I mentioned in the intro, you're getting a lot of acting work. But the time and the experience with WWE had to be a great training ground for you in terms of playing a character. It really is. I It's really surprises me that... Um, more people don't take advantage of that. Um, I, I mean, obviously, the number one name you think of is The Rock. Dwayne Johnson really, you know, took off, um, not just from WWE, but afterwards. And he still goes back to his first playing grounds. But there, to me, there is nothing like going out in front of a live audience. You can do all the films and TV you want, but in front of a live audience, uh, 100,000 plus some on the camera, millions watching, um, that adrenaline rush is addicting. And if you can, if you can speak and perform in front of them, you can do it in front of anybody. And that confidence level it gives you is really what you need as a performer or an actor or an actress, because, that's what really pushes you to the next level. And I, I tried to take advantage of it. You know, I loved performing and one of my things in WWE were my promos. And that's what Dusty really showed me and brought out of me. And I, once I got the niche and got the hang of it, I really ran with it. And I ran with my character cause she was a part of me and it really gave me the boost to go, wow, I, I I love acting. I love acting. I love writing. I used to write all my promos. I mean, it was, it really, really was the learning point for me on what I could really do. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, number 101, our best of show, that one of the guests from the first 100 episodes was a Las Vegas headliner. That was on episode 35 when I talked to the multi-talented Frankie Shinta. These days you are performing regularly at the D Casino Hotel, which is in the part of Las Vegas that tourists would know as Fremont Street. And again, for as many times as we've talked on this show about it not being as glamorous as people think the music business is, when I say you're performing there regularly, you just mentioned it. We're talking five nights a week. And as I mentioned, late hours, you're, you're working hard. I mean, this is not, you know, as I say, the, we mentioned on a previous show that the two hours that you're up there, that kind of is the, 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 the part where you put it on cruise control. It's all the work that you do during the day, putting the show together, rehearsing, writing new material, et cetera. But, but, but you're working hard five nights a week and, and at late hours. Yeah, you know what, you know, after all these years, it's like, it's just, it comes easy. It just, it, it just, it's, it's part of my life, you know what I mean? I get in the shower at 5.30, quarter to 6. Uh, by 6.30, 7 o'clock, I'm in my car. By 7, 7.15, I'm in my dressing room. Uh, I like to tune my own instruments. I'll have a cup of, maybe I'll have a, a nice espresso from our very high-end restaurant called Joe McCary's Andiamo Steakhouse. They send me over a nice espresso, and uh, I'll sip the coffee, tune my instruments, vocalize a little bit, and uh, sometimes we get fan mail. I'll read that, and and then um, by 8 o'clock, my crew is there. The band is there. By 8.25, I'm leaning forward in the foxhole backstage, and by 8.30, I take the stage and Man, oh man, I just live to go full canter 
for 90 minutes and give everything I got. Well, that's that's a good point because when you're out on stage, or, or as you say, when you're about to step out on stage, I wonder after all these years, how often, and, I, and I'm thinking it's a lot, how often do you remind yourself that, hey, most of these people that are here tonight are probably on vacation, not to mention that this is Las Vegas and there are countless other shows they could have chosen to go to tonight. I need to make sure that I'm performing as though this was my first show, my last show, and my only show. No autopilot. No, that's exactly the way I perform. Because God forbid if something were to happen to me, I know that that night I gave everything I had. I really, I truly lived to be on stage. And you really don't see that anymore. And you don't really see entertainers anymore. You'll see singers. You'll see an impressionist. You'll see a comedian. But you don't see entertainers, which is what we do in the show. I mean, there's a lot of ad lib. The audience is always a part of our show. People feel like they belong there. It's not like uh, an entertainer looking at the back wall of the showroom. We're, we're eye contact with our audience. And, and that's true not only here in Vegas, but when we tour. And touring is great, too, because you get to meet so many beautiful people around the country. We jump ahead next to episode 41, and wow, There have been a lot of songwriters who've appeared as guests on the show, and I just always love what great storytellers they are. That's part of the reason why every show features an original song by the guest on that episode at the beginning and another at the end, so they can tell the story behind what they wrote. And on episode 41, a really, really moving story that was told by someone who has written approximately 7,000 songs, C.J. Watson. All your years on the road and all that you've done, just just you know, let's let's kind of put the business aside for a minute. Just give us a give us a real career highlight for for you, or, or even maybe just a a fun, cool story that maybe just never gets old with you and that you'll always remember. Oh gosh, we need about a week for all of them. <laughs> um, Shanghai Arena was definitely a, a night I'll always remember. Um of 15 or 20,000 that sold out in a matter of minutes and um, we were the first real rock and roll band that they'd ever seen and they had all the lyrics translated into Chinese on wow. jumbotrons wow. and when we left the arena we all went out different exits and so each one of us the exit we went out the three or 4,000 people in that section stood up just pumping and chanting our names that wow. was that was a moment um, the first time I got to sing at the Ryman was definitely a moment. But you know what? The the story that sticks with me the most, and this goes back to my dog, Jesus. Um, the year I wrote that, I was down here at the Frank Brown and uh, debuted the song at uh, Pirate's Cove, which people bring their dogs to that, that bar. Mm-hmm. And I look out halfway through the song, and everybody is holding their dog and crying and laughing at the same time. <laughs> it's a funny song, but it's kind of touching. Um, so we had a moment there, but the, the real moment came the next day. Uh, this woman came up to me at, at the gig we were playing the next day, and she goes, you were at Pirate's Cove last night. And I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, you did that song about the dog. I said, yes, ma'am. She says, uh, you know, I, uh, I lost a child and, and my house. Uh, in the hurricane last year and and uh, it ended up breaking up my marriage and she said I was 
going to go to Pirate's Cove last night and have some wine and go get me a bottle to go and walk into the ocean. And, and you made me laugh. And that made me think maybe I can hold on a little longer. And to me, that's, that's better than any of the awards I've gotten or every dollar I've ever made. You know, that, that's better than 20,000 people cheering. If you actually make a difference in one person's life with your song, that's why we do this. So right about here is where every week we have the Bruce's bonus segment. It's usually as close to the middle of the show as possible. So normally at somewhere around this point, you would hear me saying, okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Well, since today, episode 101 is a collection of clips from some of the various past shows, instead of a bonus, I want to remind you that the Bruce's bonus segment from the first 80 shows are all available in a collection presented in two ebooks. As much as I certainly want you to go back and listen to past episodes of the show, it's going to take you quite a while to find all the Bruce's bonus segments. So, at www.brucesbonusbook.com, you can purchase the ebooks and have them all available in one concise format, the tips that I gave out on the first 80 shows. Since we are just a week removed from the 100th episode of this show, I think it's fitting, with all due respect to number 25, that we go next to episode 50, which was quite a milestone itself at the time. The guest was San Francisco-based singer-songwriter Lindsey Bruce, who, yes, had been on The Voice in 2014, but talked with me about another career highlight she had gotten, which was singing on stage with Keith Urban at one of his concerts. Listeners, this is really cool. As has been the case on the last 49 episodes, I'm going to be giving you uh, my guest's website address and social media sites. But in the case of Lindsay with YouTube, there's a video of her performing in concert with Keith Urban. <laughs> and Lindsay, I got to ask you, how Yeah, how cool was that? I, dare I ask, was that even more cool than being on The Voice? <laughs> or, or is that kind of apples to oranges? Oh, you know, it's it's so hard to say because for one thing, I don't know that I could have done it if I hadn't gone on The Voice first. Mm. Like when I went to perform with Keith, they handed me in-ear monitors, which you may have yeah. seen on TV. I mean, they just look like headphones, basically. Um, and I had a wireless mic. And, and those things are things that you have to like have a little bit of experience with. Or at least yeah. I, yeah. you know, I had not before The Voice um, and being on the stage like that after really being in Nashville and doing writer's nights. Um, so I feel like they definitely were complimentary, but I have to say, I think the Keith Urban moment was something that was like, probably like a definite highlight of my life. <laughs> definitely sure. sticks out. Yeah. Did, I'm curious, did those, whatever it is, I don't have the, the YouTube video in front of me, but the four minutes right. or however long the song was, <laughs> did they seem like the four longest or fastest minutes of your life? Oh gosh. Or both, um, probably, probably both. Yeah. Yeah. I'm you so know, nervous. Uh, How is this going? What do you mean it's done? <laughs> yeah. I think, well, I had watched a lot of, um, I know the same advice I was just talking about with like just going up there. Like I didn't, I didn't want to be, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of shy, honestly, when I'm not performing. And so going up there and being next to Keith Urban, there were so many elements that could just make you like, just, I would have just like frozen up. And so I think part of my strategy was just to go and, and ha- try to have fun and, um, which was hard. Like it was like, it was like a mental, I don't know. I feel like you kind of had to adopt that mentality of like, just go out there and be yourself and have fun. Because it's like, <laughs> if you try too hard or think about it too much in front of all those people, yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm laughing you know. at that statement because I'm thinking, yeah, just go out there and have fun. Like, never mind the fact that there's eighteen and a half thousand people here and here, you know, watching us. It's, no it's big deal. weird. I, I, for me, I guess it's like a sink or swim thing where it's like if you take if you think about it too seriously, I will get like I get nervous. So oh, it's sure. like you almost just have sure. to be like, okay, you know what? I'm here. You just got to go do it. Well, That's- yeah, God bless you. Cause I'm, I'm here to say you did a phenomenal job and, and you, and you, oh, not you. only did you sound amazing, but you know, watching that video, you can, you do look like you were really having a great time up there. So, yeah. uh, for what it's worth coming from me, job well done. Cause I, I just, oh, I just you. really enjoyed watching the video and, and listeners, I encourage you to, to go watch it as well. Thank you. He also, so we had sound check earlier in the day for that, which honestly, when you talk about like a long four minutes, that was probably the longest 10 minutes, just because imagine singing without a crowd and it's just you and Keith, who you've just ooh, met. Ooh. Um, and you've got all the band and everyone listening to you. They've never heard you sing live before. So they're all oh. kind of listening to make sure you're okay. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. So that, and he was so nice. Um, oh. So that was a stressful time. But then up on stage, I think part of the reason it looks like I'm having fun is because he's I mean, if you look at him, he's so, I guess, you know, he's so in, like not into it, but he makes it easy to be into it. You know, like he mm-hmm. was such a nice person to perform with because he could have just stood there and ignored me and that yeah. would have been yeah. so awkward. So yeah. I appreciated that. Next, I have to go back to episode 61 because after the guest told the story you're about to hear, I found myself referring back to it on so many subsequent episodes that a best of show wouldn't be complete without hearing singer-songwriter Sina Earhart share this anecdote about a brush with the law. There's also a video for that song that's that's done pretty well so far, around 17,000 views on YouTube. Uh, listeners, be sure to go and look for that video. Sina, tell us a, a bit about the making of that video. It was really a fun day. We actually filmed the video for Things You Shouldn't Need to Know in the former St. Paul Saints baseball stadium. The St. Paul Saints are a minor league baseball team in St. Paul, and that stadium was demolished about a week after we finished our filming. And I'm such a Minnesota girl. I love Minnesota history that I thought it would be kind of cool to have some different little um, pieces of Minnesota history in the video because that stadium no longer exists. They're in a brand new stadium for this season, but we filmed throughout the grounds and found some kind of unique places and actually went out by the railroad track. So when you see the train going by in the video, that's not green screen. That's the real deal. (laughs) I was wondering about that. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. You know, we, we had a similar conversation a couple weeks ago when my guest was uh, Whitney Doucette, who's a singer-songwriter from up in the Boston area, and, and she did a little of that with us, so I'm glad you did. And I know that Amanda Page Cornette, also on the episode where I interviewed her, we talked about some of this kind of, you know, trivia-type stuff that, you know, you wouldn't know unless you listened to this interview. So I was actually curious about that myself, you know, how difficult that must have been, the timing, to be filming that and make sure that you are getting the train going by. 
Right. We actually, uh, it was a stroke of luck that right near the end of the day, the sun was kind of setting that the train was, there were several trains that went by and actually the St. Paul police department wasn't too happy with us and they, they shut us down, but we got, um, <laughs> we Uh-oh. got the shots we needed and we apologized and they were very kind and, and, uh, but yeah, that's another trivia. We almost got hauled away. Wow. Well, there's always fun stories like that to tell. So, so was the intent, Hey, let's film by the, by the railroad tracks. That might be a a nice backdrop or was it, as you said, you know, was it, let's see if we could actually catch when a train is going by. Well, there was a really unique setting of a stack of railroad ties that looked really cool. And we actually filmed our guitar player, Cole Allen, doing a guitar solo in front of the big stack of railroad ties. It was just a cool contrast. And at at that time, the train started going by and we said, you know what, let's flip that camera around and get the whole band down Uh. here. And so we were running with pieces of the drum kit and it was it was pretty intense, but it was (laughs) a lot of fun. And then sometimes timing is, in fact, everything. On April 10th, an email was received from an upcoming guest confirming a booking for her on the show to be recorded here at the studio on May 14th. As luck would have it, five days before that, on May 9th, something Samantha Lee will never forget happened. Here she is on episode 67 talking about a surprise performance alongside a legend. So now that we've got that piece of housekeeping out of the way, what's going on, Samantha? Just just doing what you do, out performing a lot, singing with Paul McCartney. Oh my gosh, <laughs> singing with Paul McCartney. Let she has she has a big smile on her face, listeners. I wish you could see this. Let me just put a disclaimer on this first before you talk all about it. We already had put today's interview on the schedule long before this development took place. So in case anyone wants to hang the reaction tag on this episode, forget it. Samantha and I had had plenty plenty we were planning to talk about and we still will before this little gem emerged. So new best friend of one of the Beatles. <laughs> the, the local media here in Tampa have been talking about it. And I think the video that went viral uh, might have even hit TMZ. But we've got listeners not only throughout the country here in the United States, but around the world joining us each week for mm-hmm. Now Hear This Entertainment. So tell the audience uh, all about your, and I, I, this is not even doing it justice if I call it your brush with greatness. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. And I actually think it has gone to TMZ and I think it's gone on Good Morning America. Wow. And somebody told me they saw it on the web under a world news. So I wow. think it, it, might have, it might have gone pretty far. We didn't really expect for this to happen. It was kind of crazy. We were hired um, to play at his stepson's graduation party. And we found out a few months earlier that it was for Paul McCartney's stepson. And so we knew that he was probably going to be there. And that was already exciting enough that we might get a glimpse of a Mm -hmm. beetle. It's crazy. So um, you can imagine the excitement and the nerves going into that gig. Absolutely. even if he didn't come up and say hi, he's hearing us perform, and that's insane in itself. So when we were there, he was the first one on the dance floor. He wow. like brought the party to life. We we're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so cool. He's having like the best time. And then he pulls out his own little handheld camcorder, and he's recording the party. He's recording the band. He's coming up and singing along with us. And we we're like, oh my God, this is crazy. So we go to take our first break. And here he comes walking out, Paul McCartney. And he's like, 
hey guys, how's it going? I would like to sit in a few with you guys. And we were like, uh, oh my God. And he's like, do you know? Um, and he named off a few songs and he was like, saw her standing there. And our singer was like, I'm not sure if we know it. And I was like, what key? We can do it. <laughs> and the band, they pulled up a chart and we just, we made it come to life. And, and it just was insane. It was, my mind was blown the entire night that it was happening. It was surreal. As you're hearing, we do have fun on the show, but unfortunately, there are times when things are a little somber. For instance, when B.B. King passed away last year. So on episode 69, singer, songwriter, piano player Victor Wainwright recounted his experiences with the late blues legend. I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about the recent passing of B.B. King, who I know is someone you grew up listening to. Yeah. You know, B.B., man, it's really hard to talk about B.B. King, honestly, but I'll I'll do my very best. I think with the passing of B.B., we've all lost another dad. If you're in deep in the blues uh, like I am and like many, many, many of my friends are, B.B. King was a second father really to us all. And uh, you know that 98% of the people living on this earth – 98% 98% of everyone living on the earth never lived a day without B.B. King <laughs> until right now, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a big shock, you know, it's just plain statistics, and he was known everywhere, you know, and, and from, from the far east to the far west, and I think for all of us, we're just sort of reeling from it all still, but I, I have a, a personal story about B.B. King. B.B. knew me. And I got to meet BB King. I've gotten to open up for BB King in theaters. I've, I got to know him, all right. You know where he would know who I was. And the reason he knew what I was was not because of music. It was because I was an air traffic controller. No and kidding. BB King. No kidding. Wow. Was yeah. BB King at a time of his life was a private pilot, and he liked to fly planes. A lot of people didn't know that. Um, BB was a private pilot. So when he found out that I was and air traffic controller, he and I had something to talk about that wasn't just music. Yeah. You know, and so whenever I was around BB or had the opportunity to open up for BB or spend time with with BB King, we talked about that because that was how he remembered me and that's what he wanted to talk about. (laughs) And so I was always happy that we had something that not a lot of other people had, a, a personal experience with each other that we could talk about his his joy of that recreation of flying and my, you know, not so much joy of being an air traffic controller. (laughs) (laughs) So we would always laugh about Uh, it, but it it gave us a common ground, you know, uh, and and I think that we will recover. You know, I know that we'll recover. Um, We'll never have another BB King, I'm afraid, but we, it's going to be awesome and amazing uh, to see how the community comes together and who rises to the occasion. And I, and I just hope that God has that in his plans for me and for many of my friends, for us to just have the strength to rise to the occasion and to uh, be strong through these, this sort of hard period of, of blues history. That's the best way I can put it. Of course, a huge part of this show is giving lessons to the listeners who are up-and-coming musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers, I have found myself pointing a lot of people back to episode 77 with Chuck Murphy because of this conversation that became a prime example of a Now Hear This Entertainment teaching moment. 
listen to this statistic, listeners. Uh, congratulations, Chuck. You you mentioned uh, the title track of the EP. As of yesterday, listeners, uh, Chuck song how many times? As of yesterday, had gotten eighty two thousand listens in thirty days on SoundCloud. Um, so I, I I guess I I guess I and more so the listeners would like to know. Uh, to what do you attribute getting so much activity on that song? Were you aggressively promoting it, and, and if so, how? I wasn't so much... I didn't start out aggressive... To be honest, I, I didn't start out aggressively promoting how many times. I, I started out aggressively promoting the four songs. Right. Because I was trying to understand which... I was, as I was, on some level, because of the production value, I figured there must be somebody out there that is going to like something here. But I actually believed that it was cowgirls that people would like. And they did. (laughs) If you're talking about numbers, we got up to about 31,000 there right now. (laughs) But what was interesting is to see how how the Internet basically decided what was going to take place. It wasn't some some executive in the back office of a major label um, saying, this is the song we're going to spend our money on. It was actually the people in the world that are listening to SoundCloud, that are that are seeing my Facebook posts and, and going to SoundCloud to listen. Um, it, it's amazing how it's not about pushing something that an executive wants versus letting the people just embrace what they like about what you're doing. So are you comfortable, are you at liberty to disclose, when, you, when, you, when I asked you, did you aggressively promote that track that it did end up getting so many listens are you comfortable sharing did did you do say uh paid facebook ads for example or pay to boost a post things of that nature i'm very comfortable and once i realized through through the listens that we were getting it was real clear to me that how many times was rising to the top and what i did um is i took and shared from soundcloud i shared to fit my Facebook page, my band page for Chuck Murphy, where at that point we would do these $100 booths. And it allows you to kind of pick an audience. And me, I'm trying to figure out the whole world. So I basically <laughs> picked, I, I picked an audience of the whole world, and I wanted to know age groups. And so I picked the 13 to 60, and I watched what happened. And what happened was... All of a sudden, 13 to 24 started embracing hmm. how many times? Wow. And, and um, I, w- I, I was so impressed the first $100 that I spent, I spent <laughs> another 100 doing the same thing, just to see if it would go a little bit further. Uh-huh. And it did. Wow. So, I mean, if, if you... What did it cost me to get 82000 probably a total of $500. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't so much the listens that were important to me, it was the type of feedback I got from people when they, left, when they left their messages. Yeah. And uh, that's what I wanted to hear. I wanted to see what people thought of the, what I was doing. Interesting. Um, but we, you know, we've got little pockets all over, the, all over the world of people that are really embracing the music. If it wasn't cool enough having Samantha Lee sit here in the studio and talk about singing alongside Paul McCartney, 
How about actually having a guest on the show who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? That was the case on episode 86 when Roger Fisher, the founding guitarist of the band Heart, was the guest. As you'll hear, I just had to ask him to do a little storytelling. I can't have you on the show without asking you to, to, to storytell a little bit. We, we were just talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I, I guess just kind of maybe um, one great heart story that has always stood out for you over the years, if, if you wouldn't mind indulging me and the listeners. You know, there are so many great heart stories, uh, and there's a lot of clarification that really deserves mm. to be out there. Go go ahead. Let's uh, let's hear let's hear a little bit of clarification. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to buy into that. Uh, that that is that is subject matter that is really uh, close to the heart, and it's 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 really guarded. It, it'll come out in a book okay, that my brother okay. and I. Yeah, and and I just wanted to give you the platform if you wanted it. So it's it's yeah it's, yeah yeah yeah. But here here we go. So yeah, we're my brother and I are writing a book called Bros. And it will talk about heart from a perspective that nobody's heard. And uh, it's going to be a really good revealing book. So, but a good heart story. There are so many of them. Uh, You know, a rock and roll band on the road. Oh, my God. These stories (laughs) are, you can't tell these stories, you know. But it's, it's it's just so amazing to be on the road in a rock band where people will do pretty much anything to to be part of the of what's going on uh okay just a a little snippet for instance uh hart and queen had back-to-back shows in st louis i don't know i'm not sure what year maybe 78 and uh so both bands were in town and we knew each other from uh from 1975 when we were in London and played on uh, a TV show called The Old Grey Whistle Test. Hmm. And that night, coincidentally, Brian May was the host. So we became friends at, because he and Roger uh, really liked our band. And so we became friends. And then every time Queen would come to Seattle, they would come and visit us. And we'd play pool and, you know, they'd, they'd come to our house and we'd hang out. Mm-hmm. So when we saw each other in St. Louis... Uh, Brian took us to their sound check and showed us all his his cool gear and stuff and uh and then after our show the following night uh both bands went to a nightclub. So imagine yourself in a nightclub in St. Louis and <laughs> god that that looks like Freddie Mercury. Jeez, there's there's Ann Wilson. So both bands come into this nightclub and we're just drinking and partying and getting loose and uh <clears throat> I guess I can't tell all of what happened next, but, <laughs> but but just that scenario I think is enough to leave it to the listener's imagination yeah, as yeah. to what might have happened. So uh, that, but, that's a nice little. But suffice it to say, uh, live music was not performed there by by either one of your bands. No, we were just the audience that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. And just last week, the big one hundredth episode. It still is amazing to see that sitting on NHTE.net. The guest was national touring and recording artist, Christian singer-songwriter Lindsay McCall, 
who was making her second appearance on the show and this time around told a funny story about an unconventional way that she learned to play piano so she could perform one of her songs live. In terms of your live performances, Lindsay, I remember seeing you perform One More Step and raising an eyebrow because you put down the guitar and were playing keys for that. So how did I not know that you play something other than guitar? What what led you to playing keys for One More Step on, on the tour that I saw you on? Yeah, so that's actually a funny story because um, so most of my songs are um, guitar-driven, and mm-hmm. I write because, because I've... I taught myself guitar when I was younger, and so I've played guitar since I was, I think, 11 um, when I started. And that does not, definitely does not reflect in my skill level. I am no John Mayer, <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I play enough to get by and write songs and um, and play live, so that's, you know, what I need it for. And um, But my husband, when I wrote One More Step, with my friend Jeff Pardo, Jeff is an incredible piano player. And so he, he wrote the piano part while we were writing the song. And, um, I loved it so much. I was like, Oh, we're, we're going to write whatever you're playing right now. (laughs) And, um, and, um, so I loved it. But Mark, my husband, he was like, you know, Lens, if you want to play that song live and you need to, cause it's such a special song about your dad and your life, um, you're going to need to learn how to play it on piano. And I was like, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> and he was like, no, you really need to because, you know, I don't, sometimes I travel with people and sometimes I don't, but more often than not, I'm, I'm traveling solo and playing for myself. So, um, so Mark kept encouraging me heavily <laughs> in that direction. And so finally I went over to Jeff Pardo, my, my co-writer and friend's house. And I just said, okay, Jeff, you play the song slowly and I'll take pictures of your hand <laughs> oh while my you gosh. do it. Oh my gosh. And so that's how I learned how to play one more step. Wow. He played it and would form the <laughs> the chords with his fingers and and I learned how to play it that way. Wow. I just kept going through the pictures and memorizing it and that is the only song I play on piano, which is great. And I'm so thankful that I know how to play it now. But the problem is um I do a lot of women's conferences and often they'll be like Hey, um, we just need some, if you want to just come out during this part of the day or whatever, and just play some piano underneath, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ah, that's, that's actually impossible. How about I don't guitar? really know how to play piano. How about, yeah. how about guitar? How about I think, picking? I think guitar sets a, sets a better mood. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, you're great. I'm like, no, I'm really not. Like I, I only know one song. <laughs> oh my gosh. Very limited repertoire. <laughs> if you don't mind me playing one more step and not singing it over and over and over, I'll play that <laughs> quietly. Exactly. How much did you like that song? <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, so that's, that's how I learned to play one more step. <laughs> so there you go. Clips from 13 of the first 100 episodes of Now Hear This Entertainment. Go back and listen to one or more of those 13 in their entirety or certainly some of the others that we didn't play clips from. Subscribe to Now Hear This Entertainment on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, or follow on SoundCloud so that you get the show every week and don't miss any future episodes. I have to, one more time, thank all of you who have listened, yes, to this best of show, but to many past shows. This show is about the listeners and the guests So I'm really grateful to all of you who play or download Now Hear This Entertainment. 
Thank you to all the guests who appeared over the course of the first 100 episodes. And tremendous thanks to Crystal Blue Sound Studios for the great work that has made the show sound so great from episode 1 to episode 100. Do check them out online at www.cbpro.net. So much can be done remotely nowadays. So look at their website, get in touch. Great work from Crystal Blue Sound Studios. Be sure to go to www.nhte.net and click on various episodes. You're able to see the guest's picture, get a link to their website, and read some quotes from their appearance on this show. And of course, do use the social media links there to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to the Now Hear This official YouTube channel. Remember that you can send an email via the contact page on nhte.net, and you can also sign up for our e-newsletter. The URL, again, for the e-books that I mentioned earlier is www.brucesbonusbook.com. And if you are an up-and-comer and we can help you with management or promotion or other such services, we'd certainly love to hear from you. Episode 101 is in the books. Let's start the new chapter for Now Hear This Entertainment. We'll see you next week for another new episode of NHTE.